This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of the 1978 film Halloween. Halloween night. A small American town. Fifteen years ago. Michael? I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. Exploring uncharted territory. Totally charted. Halloween. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Halloween, the original from 1978, and the story is as follows. On a cold Halloween night in 1963, six-year-old Michael Myers brutally murdered his 17-year-old sister, Judith. He was sentenced and locked away for 15 years. But on October 30th, 1978, While being transferred for a court date, the 21-year-old Michael Myers steals a car and escapes Smith's Grove. He returns to his quiet hometown of Haddonfield, Illinois, where he looks for his next victims. The film is starring Donald Pleasance. Is that how I say that? Pleasance? Yeah. Yes. I believe so. Jamie Lee Curtis, PJ Souls, and Nancy Loomis. It is written and directed by John Carpenter and co-written by Deborah Hill. Joining me for this review, I have Katie Schaefer. Hello, hello. Cody Derricks. Ooh, hello, spooky, hello. And Danilo Castro. I'm not going to top that, so I'm just going to say what's up, everybody. That's right. Well, I will first start us off by saying happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. Halloween. It's finally here. Yeah. Finally. And and by finally, I mean it's finally time for our review of the original 1978 version of Halloween. This has been a long time coming here at Next Best Picture. We didn't do it the first two years that we were on the air, but now we're finally getting our shot here. And I have to thank all of you wonderful people for inspiring this. This is a um, not only like you, the MVP community. Uh, but also you, you, everyone that's joining me on this podcast right now. Cody, you're a huge horror movie fan. Katie, you're also oh, yeah. a fan. Danilo, you're a fan. And as a result, I have to thank all of you. This was my first time ever seeing this movie. No way. Whoa. Yeah. 
Wow. We all have our cinematic blind spots, and this was one for me. So, and yes, for the record, I did see the new one without having seen the original. Uh, okay. <laughs> Have you seen the sequels, like any of the other ones, or the Rob Zombie Halloween? Or? I the only ones that I had seen. I I have seen the Rob Rob Zombie one, the okay. first one. I didn't see okay. the second one, and I did see Halloween H two O. Okay. Back in like the early two thousands or whatever it was. Okay. So yeah, I've had a very weird experience with the Halloween franchise for sure, and I think some of that might continue here today on our review discussion, this special Patreon review discussion uh, that we are giving as a surprise to all of our listeners out there as a quote-unquote Halloween present. So uh, with that said, let's get off on right the right foot here. Let's talk to somebody over here who is a big fan that can set the stage for us. Cody Derricks, let's start off with you, sir. What did you think of the 1978 version the original, the OG, Halloween. Oh boy. Okay, so this is a formative movie for me. I literally grew up with Michael Myers. Um, I actually saw the fourth and fifth ones first because those used to play all the time on AMC around Halloween, not the original. Um, so I grew up watching those ones over and over again. And then in high school, I watched this one. And I now watch it every single Halloween, even though I just watched, I'm probably going to watch it again tomorrow. I think it's an absolute masterpiece. It's a really like, like a Rosetta stone for the horror genre. I really think you can't make a horror movie without referencing this in some way, either accidentally or intentionally. I just, I, it's one of my favorite, not only horror movies, but actual just movies, period. I love this movie. Wow. Okay. Katie. So I, I was on the original or the review we did just a few weeks or a week or so ago about the new Halloween. And I kind of gave my background as someone who I didn't really get into this until later, but I've always liked slasher movies since I was a kid. And I think Halloween uh, is the best one out of the whole bunch. Halloween sets the standard. It's uh, scary and, and unnerving. And there's so much going on within this very simple storyline and Jamie Lee Curtis is an absolute, uh, you know, icon from this film. And yeah, I love this one. And I think it's uh, an, the start of slasher films and an icon of the series. All right. All right. Danilo. So I came to Halloween a little late. I think I saw it for the first time probably in high school at some point. And I remember the first time being a little like, oh, OK, like it was enjoyable. It's always a little cheesy. But since then, and I've seen it a lot since because it's become kind of a Halloween tradition, I my appreciation for it grows every year. And, and I love the movie. Uh, kind of like Cody, I rewatched it for this. I'm going to watch it again tomorrow for Halloween or, you know, whenever Halloween comes around. And I just, uh, yeah, I think I think the Rosetta Stone comparison is, is pretty solid, especially in terms of slasher films. So I think... Uh, I think it's a great movie, and I love watching it. This is a really rewatchable movie for me. Okay, so for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, no. no. So, like, no, because here's the thing. I acknowledge that I know that Halloween is important, and I understand that it's a first for a lot of different things that we've seen get repeated within the genre, the slasher genre, over the years since then. One of the movies that was heavily influenced by Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, which... You know, if I watch that today, that is not something that to me is scary, but I can understand the mindset of being back in that era and seeing something like this for the first time ever, why Psycho would be considered scary. 
Halloween is similar to me, where I was not scared while watching it. I instead viewed it as a historian. I watched it at, uh, through that lens of, okay, I can totally see it where if you had never seen anything like this before in cinema, I can totally see why this works. And I can also see why if I was a bit younger, like if I saw this movie maybe when I was like an early teenager or maybe even preteen, like 11 or something, I could see why this movie would have a far greater impact on me in terms of it being genuinely frightening. It wasn't though for me. And as a result of which, I, I just have a different relationship, I suppose, with this movie compared to other people. And that's not to say I think it's a bad movie or anything like that. Far from it. I actually do think it is quite good. I just can't revere it and you know sing the same level of praise that I think the rest of you are able to do so uh, due to your experience with it. That makes sense. And I, I have to say, I'm going to agree with you that I don't find it scary either. And I don't looking back, I don't think I ever did. But just something about the atmosphere and the feeling of the movie just gets me the Halloween spirit like no other movie. And it's my favorite time of year. Um, I just love sitting in the world of this movie. That, and that's fair, too. I mean, I definitely like actually for me. Before Michael Myers starts killing all of the, the victims uh, seemingly at random, or is it, um, I like the stalking bits actually in the first half in a movie where it's like you see this figure wearing all black walking down the street. You don't really know what he is, what, like what it is, who he is, or what the hell is going on, and it's just this presence that can strike at any time is clearly very methodical about what it is that he's doing. And I do like that whole idea that Michael Myers is supposed to be just some sort of representation of evil incarnate. Mm -hmm. I, I really, really dug that aspect of it. Even though, like I said, in the years since, you know, that's something that, you know, I've seen get perfected and expanded upon in other movies. So it's hard. It's hard for me to watch this, you know, with that lens of, oh, my God, like this is the greatest thing ever, because I could see myself saying that 40 years ago. Um, it's really hard for me to say that now. I think to your point about the kind of evil incarnate being uh, a little rough here, I think what helps it out and kind of what helps it, uh, its timeless aspect is the fact that it's kind of ambiguously treated. We don't know why Michael is the way he is. You know, we don't get explanations. Nobody in the movie attempts to <laughs> ignoring the Rob Zombie version. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> don't worry about that. Yeah. No, yeah. I am ignoring the Rob Zombie version, but um, I think that that um, uncertainty kind of helps uh, this film kind of retain that that aesthetic or that quality that's kind of interesting that Cody pointed out. But I have to ask this question then, because a lot has been made about how Michael Myers would kill promiscuous teenagers who were, you know, in the act of having sex or smoking drugs or whatever it might be, right? <laughs> yeah, These drugs, teenagers yeah. deserve to die, essentially, is like, you know, the mantra of Michael Myers. Sure. If he is supposed to be evil incarnate and evil is supposed to be random, just like how and, and ambiguous, like you said, we don't know why Michael Myers stabs his older sister, Judith, to death with a knife. We, we never get an explanation for that. 
And so yet we do get an explanation for the kids later on in the film because, you know, dozens of pieces have been written about it, you know, since then. So is he really evil incarnate? Like what what like what message is the movie supposed to be sending out here in terms of who Michael Myers is and what his true purpose is. And I, and you know, I've actually read like a lot of stuff of John Carpenter himself, even saying, yo, you guys are reading way too much into this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's what I was going to mention. I think on a certain level, like if you look at it as the original creation, I think there's many ways, but two big ones to look at this film. And that's how Carpenter and Deborah Hill created it. Cause Deborah Hill was very influential in getting this and how this was created. Um, And you can look at it from their perspective, which is let's just make a fun slasher movie. We like horror movies. We like schlock. Let's do this and make it fun. But then there's also the unintentional meetings behind it and all of the things that once you release a piece of art into the world, now it's for everyone else to interpret. And I think to a certain extent, you can look at while Michael Myers is seen as being, you know, a source of evil, it's also telling that he kills, you know, promiscuous women and, you know, promiscuous men and Lee and Lori is the one who escapes from him because she's the good girl who stays at home. She protects the kids and all of that. And it's a common, uh, a meta commentary that the film doesn't necessarily intend about, you know, how society views, you know, who is good enough to live and who is not. And, and there's been hundreds of pieces written about that, I'm sure. But that's one look at it. So, I mean, like, is this movie a a social commentary on uh, teenage political activism and rebellion of the 70s? I think it's more... Yeah, I think it's actually more kind of um, a parable about the general fears that women in society can have. And again, I don't think this was uh, intentional. John Carpenter kind of famously is very much... uh, derisive of his own movie here in a way he doesn't really seem to think it's anything worth investigating in the way we're going to be doing in this episode um but i everything everything that he does up until the killings is kind of reflective of typical um like creepy male behavior (laughs) the stalking yes and the hiding hiding in the bushes exactly yeah yeah watching people Mm -hmm. um to the point where Lori literally has to tell herself to calm down. And I wonder, I actually wonder if that's why that part of the movie might have worked better for me, actually. Fair. Maybe, maybe because I am viewing it more through that 2018 lens. And that that part of it, to me, was genuinely more creepy mm-hmm. than the, oh, you know. Sure. He's killing them. I've seen this before. You know what I mean? Like, that. the, 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 the more genre stuff of it all was the stuff that I just was kind of like, eh, mm-hmm. you know, about. Well, and again, that's like you said, this is this was the originator of all of that. This was the first slasher movie. Everything else right. came afterward. It's kind of like how Lord of the Rings is looked at as it's it's a pretty boring fantasy story when you get down to it. But everything else has mm-hmm. been built on it. And so I appreciate it a lot for those the simplicity of it and the direct style that Carpenter has in all of his movies, but especially in this one. Yeah, no, and I think there's something definitely to be said there in terms of how, you know, th- things like, <laughs> and I made fun of this on our uh, review of the new one, <laughs> running away from the killer and tripping and falling while doing so. It's like, of course they tripped and fell. <laughs> you know, to add suspense. Of course. Uh, and that's like that, you know, that's that's my that's my reaction of 
me watching the film, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know, because I get because I get angry at these sort of things sometimes. Um, but. I could totally see how, like I said, if you had never seen anything like this before, I could totally see why this movie was a huge smash hit. And it, it, it is the way that it is. I totally, totally, totally get it. I get it. I understand it. It, it just, I, 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 but it, it's that classic example of, you know, and I did this on our recent review of A Star is Born. I, I'm essentially going to, for this entire review, try to like give reasons why in leading up to when I don't give this a 10 out of 10 so that everyone understands <laughs> why I'm not doing it. Um, <laughs> this whole, it's your defense case. Right, exactly. Because I don't want people to be shocked and I don't want them to be confused and I also don't want them to be angry at me either. I, I want you to like me. I really, really want you to like me. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> there were things about this that I definitely did enjoy, um, for sure. You know, but one thing that like was a little confusing to me is I, I've always known that Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode, I always knew that she was the lead. I always knew that she was the final girl. I understood that she was the pure girl, like um, to Katie's point earlier. Uh, Donald Pleasance, who plays Dr. Sam Loomis, I was not expecting him to be um, as heavily featured in this. And he even gets top yeah, billing top in this, actually. Above the title. Yeah. He was the right, well, he's, right. He's Pleasance and he's. He's amazing in all of the stuff he does with Carpenter. Yeah, no, and I understand that he and John Carpenter worked actually a number of different times uh, actually after this. And he was also in a lot of the Halloween uh, movies. I think he was in five in total, right? That sounds right. I think it must yeah, have been I think four. So. But, I mean, it's he's been in more than two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that he served as kind of the – whatever little information that we did get about Michael Myers, I like that he was kind of the, um, and, I, and Co- Cody, maybe there, you know, like the name of the archetype for this type of character, but the, the type of character who has a history with the monster and tells other characters about the monster and so on and so um, forth. You know what I mean? I don't know if it has a definite name, but it kind of, you can trace it back to Dr. Frankenstein almost. Oh yes. Yeah. No, there you go. Absolutely. There's something to be Somebody said who there. knows their true power. Mm-hmm. I think so much of this movie is so good because, or at least it's so interesting to me, whether or not you love it, like you know Cody and Danilo and I, or you're not as sold on it like Matt. I think one of the biggest things, the, the lenses that I look at this through is it was a big part of John Carpenter's uh, early career. I mean, he had Assault on Precinct 13 before this, which was a minor, you know, a minor hit and is a lot harder to watch. I'll let you know that because <laughs> I tried. <laughs> um, but then, and he was in his late twenties making this, but then four years later, he's making the thing, which is one of the best horror movies ever. Yeah. I, I love the thing. 10 years later, it's they live, which is a complete 180 from how he feels about this movie, which is very, you know, not political to they live, which is incredibly political and has so much nuance and symbolism within it. And so sometimes I wonder if Carpenter isn't just being like, oh, yeah, I didn't think how can you make they live and then 10 years later and not have seeds of that genius and that thoughtfulness in your work starting even, you know, with Halloween. Yeah, I I see what you're saying about that. And, And maybe Halloween served as I don't know. The reaction to it is what inspired him, maybe. Um, at least, you know, one w- would want to think that. It's very, very tough for me to, like I said, to look at this movie as it is. And, you know, with all the other movies I've seen in my life behind me, 
and look at this objectively and ask myself, is it a great movie? Like on its own, is it a great movie? Or am I making excuses as to why it's a great movie because the world says it's a great movie and because of how much it is influenced? I think you can only ask, is this a great movie for me? Right. Because everybody else has, everybody's experiences are bringing something different to the table. Well, with that in mind, I'll, I'll say this. And then if you guys want, we'll get into like some nitty gritty details now that we finally um, cracked the brain of Matt Neglia in this uh, therapy <laughs> session. Um, I will settle for it being uh, very good and above average, sure. but I, I can't like in good consciousness say that I thought that this was like the greatest thing I've seen since sliced bread. You know, I think that That's makes sense. Fair. And I think, yeah, even if certain there's certain movies, I think all of us can agree on that. We might not necessarily like, but we can acknowledge its influence and its importance. So there's a distinction between what we enjoy and what we respect, I think. Definitely. Hey, everyone. Sorry to interrupt, but you are listening to a preview of the full podcast review of the 1978 classic Halloween here on the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the full review, you will have to head over to our Patreon page where for one dollar minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us, including this review here. Be sure to subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and newly on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, let us know what you think of the show, and as always, we shall see you all next time. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.